Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead, a podcast where I, Brittany Ashley, interview another member of the Dead Moms Club and examine a piece of pop culture that explores motherlessness. We are more than halfway through the first season of this podcast. There are four episodes left before I take a mental break from revisiting trauma on a bi-weekly basis. And for the season finale, I have something fun planned. I'm not sure if fun is the correct word, but let's just go with it for now. I am traveling back to Illinois to interview my dad, to interview my mom's old friend who I haven't seen in 20 years, and to record on location from various places that mean something to my mom. All while reading Motherless Daughters for the first time. It's basically going to be an exorcism of my soul. This week's episode is with my friend Allison Bagg. I've known Allison for a few years. She's truly one of the sweetest and most effortlessly cool people I've ever met. And similar to Zach and Brianna, we found out that we were part of the same club when we all worked together at BuzzFeed. I had to really like build myself up and my courage up to do it. And I felt like, okay, I, I'm ready. Like it's been, maybe it had been 11 years at the time. And I was like, okay, I want to like own my story and tell it. I have a lot of boundaries and I don't let people in. I, I don't really give people too much of my story unless I feel really comfortable and trust them and feel close with them. And I kind of wanted to like break through that. And I felt like it was a good opportunity to do that. And it was a good challenge. But then I ended up having a really bad time with that experience. Like with, I had a good time like sharing it and I felt comfortable and confident. And I felt like, you know, I might've been the only person that didn't cry, which then I, I was you also- you and Brie both didn't cry. Yeah. And then I was like self-conscious about that. Like, oh, do I look like I have like a heartless bitch? Like I didn't cry about this. And it's like, well, I just didn't cry. Like it doesn't mean I'm not hurting all the time. It's just- I just didn't. And then they sent a cut of the video and I was part of like the team of people that would review the videos before they would go out and I wasn't in it. And I was kind of like, wow, like I just shared, I bared my soul to you and I got cut and maybe because I didn't cry or it wasn't and I felt like really exploited. I confronted people that made the video and was like, hey, like when you're making a video about something so personal and, and hard for people to share, you really need to respect their time and energy. And I wish you had told me like, oh, we don't have enough time. It's not anything personal or, or just told me before. And then instead of me finding out just why watching the video, be like, I'm not in it. And then it kind of changed the way people made videos at BuzzFeed because then we had this whole meeting about how to properly like make videos that were on about pretty heavy topics and how to like respect the persons in the video and and how to do it and really like make it a safe space and all this stuff and I feel like that was directly because I was like dude that's not cool like and I, I remember calling my best friend like when I saw the video and I was like I had to take a walk and I was just like I'm so hurt by this like I, I don't know why I feel this way but it's it just I already was worried that I was exploiting my sadness for the internet. And I think I was already questioning that. And then that kind of triggered the fact that then I was removed because maybe I didn't cry. I mean, these are all thoughts running through my head. I don't, I wasn't removed for any reason about my story. I was told, I was told it was just for timing reasons, you know, like whatever those videos were like consumable bite-sized things. So it's like consumable trauma, consumable trauma. Please exploit your sadness on the internet. 
then they brought me back in and then I felt like oh god I'm like this whiny bitch who's lost their mom and now I like (laughs) making them put me in the video I just felt there was no right way to go about it it was hard but then it was also a good lesson too because it's like I was building it up and I was so nervous to share my story and then that all that happened and then I was questioning like, oh man, I shouldn't have, but I'm, I'm glad I did. And then I ended up basically like schooling someone on how to deal with someone else's trauma. So I was like, all right, this is something crazy. I used to work at a place called Mother. <laughs> and I was like confronted with the fact that I was motherless every fucking day. We, our business cards were our moms. And it was like, it was sweet, but it was also like, this is so ironic and weird and like, It was my first real job and it hadn't been that many years since my mom had died. And it was like, this was my first real job at a place called Mother. They had a wall of mothers. Like we had to bring in a photo of our moms. And I was just like, it was so weird. And I was actually working there with my friend whose mom had also died in in high school as well. And we were always like, this is so fucking weird. Like, what the fuck? But then I found out like a bunch of people actually who worked there also, their mothers had died different points, you know, people were older and like, you know, a lot of people had experienced that at different ages, but it was just such a weird thing. I don't know. It's such an innocuous question. People like ask like, oh, what do your parents do? Or nobody ever expects it to be like a heavy answer. Like, well, my mom's dead, but that was another reason I wanted to be in the video to tell people the office that. My mom had died. So please stop asking me to be in videos with my mom because people knew I was from L.A. I would always get questions like, oh, you want to be in this Mother's Day video? You want to do this with your mom? Like you want to put your makeup on with your mom, switch outfits with your mom? And I'd be like, please don't fucking ask me that. Watch this video. And so it was a way of me also telling the office. Yeah, it is like a coming out in a way. It was. It was a coming out. So and after that, nobody did. Nobody asked if I wanted to be in any of those videos anymore. So it was great. It's a long story, but she had, throughout my life, she had breast cancer, lung cancer, and brain cancer. So it was ultimately brain brain cancer. But she wasn't very sick throughout my life. So when she did finally get that last cancer, that was like the first time I saw her sick and saw her as sickly. But even though she had had all those cancers throughout my life, it never was really real until then. Because when she had breast cancer, it was right after I was born. So, you know, I was a baby. I didn't, I, maybe it's deep in there, but I don't remember any of that. And then the lung cancer was metastasized breast cancer in the lungs. And she never did radiation or chemo or any of that. She didn't lose her hair. She like totally just like powered through. We're very like holistic wellness type of family. I mean, that's just like who I am still. And she just went to like Eastern medicine doctors and changed her diet. And actually her lung tumors like never grew even at the end so that was like under wraps and that was during middle school and stuff and and then I was just a narcissistic entitled teen and and then I remember she was diagnosed with brain cancer on her 25th wedding anniversary and then it just it was rapid from there it was just like I mean brain cancer is just such a ugly way to go she just was gone. I mean, my dad and I, we he, we talk about it occasionally, and he would always think she's still in there. It's like the butterfly in the bell jar. Like, she's in there, but she wasn't able to communicate with us. So she kind of went before she did, because we never got to have that, like, goodbye conversation, which I think, you know, I've had people have their parents die suddenly, and people have their parents die um, from being sick for a long time, and they get that conversation. And I never got that conversation. So I almost feel like she died kind of suddenly. But it was this kind of 18-month 
really horrific slow burn of her being sick and and then hospice and all that stuff in the house so seeing like her body but she couldn't communicate she would like uh switch her pronouns and like it was just so you know i mean i was 17 and i didn't know how to deal with it so i have a lot of guilt around that about around not having that conversation because i felt like we had the opportunity to and there would be moments where I, i knew she was trying but she'd switch up her pronouns and it was just so hard for her and I was like I can't deal with this and I just I had a job I was a waiter and I would just like go to work or go to school and just like I had a car and I just was out I have a lot of guilt about that like when I'm in therapy like that's the main thing I talk about because it's like I had this opportunity that a lot of people don't get like if your parent dies suddenly that you know I, I have all those feelings, but I didn't ex- have that experience. So it's kind of a weird, I'm in both pools at once kind of thing. So in high school, but was it a known thing among your peers? Yeah, I went to a really small high school. Everybody knew, like the whole school. I mean, well, I don't need to sound that like important or narcissistic, but it was a small liberal arts school. There was a couple of people in my grade who had had a parent die before. I Like I mentioned, my, my friend, I was super close with this girl and her mom had died when she was 14 and so she she was like my rock that was really cool to have that person be there for me and totally get it and totally understand and it brought us way closer to and but and then there was a guy and I I was just thinking about this earlier in the week like wow I wish that we had like brought him into our dead mother club because we didn't I don't know, that must have been really hard for him. But my friend and I, we were we called each other MDs, motherless daughters. So we had each other. That was cool. Super cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it happened during school, like during the school year. I think people must have known she was sick. I was kind of like introverted and aloof anyway. But like I said, I was I was working. So I would go to work. And, and I also had a friend there whose mother had died that I was waiting tables with. She was an older woman and she ended up giving me this book called Motherless Daughters. I don't know if you've you've read it. It It's really cool of her to give me that book. She inscribed it and everything. It was toward the end of the year and it was like during AP tests. So I didn't go to school for like a week, but then I had an AP test on the next Friday. And I was like, well, I have to take the AP test. I don't know, it's high school shit. I don't even, like I really didn't have to take it, but I, I felt like I had to. I was kind of like perfectionist. So I came to school just to take the AP test that was the first time I saw everybody and people were sweet like you know nobody like said anything they just like hugged me and was and were sweet and then I think I went to school maybe the next Monday but then the year ended pretty soon after that and I spent like a summer abroad like I went to a camp and nobody knew and that was awesome I felt like I could just kind of not have to deal with it and just nobody knew my story and that was cool I was nervous to go back to school I'm pretty sure it was and then it was my senior year but everybody was sweet. I, I mean, I already felt kind of like an outcast anyway. Like before it happened, I felt kind of alienated from people. I felt I was pretty emo anyway, like before everything happened. So I just like went further into my emo-ness. And like I said, my school was a liberal arts school. So we had like a lot of cool art classes and poetry classes. And I felt like there were some good outlets there for me. I really went deep in my poetry class. Like I really let him let him know what was going on. I can't even read that 
I have it all in my computer still, all of my poetry that I that I wrote during that time. I'm glad I had that outlet because I really, really utilized it. My mom, I felt, was the root system of our family. And my brother and my dad and I are kind of like these dismembered branches. My brother's six and a half years older than me. So we were already like only children. And so he had a totally different experience and was older and more mature when my mom was sick and dying. And he was like, he totally snapped into gear and was like taking her to all of her appointments. He even was the one who realized something was up with her. Like he was like, she's saying weird stuff. Like, I don't know. He knew that something was going on before she was diagnosed. So he has all these different memories. And I'm, I feel like I, I'm constantly like learning from him how his, his experience was. And, you know, I mean, it, it really like makes reminds me of how I wasn't there. I was totally an absent teen. It's and it sucks. I mean, but you can't be mad at yourself for who you were. And unfortunately, my dad, you know, he had a lot to deal with. And he wasn't trying to corral me and be like, you should really be here for this. But then I have resentment towards him about that, about how I wish he was like parenting me a little bit harder during those years and being like, you need to be around more. Like, you need to say goodbye to your mom. After she died, I really like rebelled against everything. And I felt a lot of resentment and anger and lack. And I and I wanted to fight. And I and I was like, this is fucked up. I was like a bad girl. And I was such a goody-goody before. I was like a perfectionist. I was totally like into science. I was going to be a doctor. Like I, I had amazing grades. I had like a 4.5 GPA. Like I was like really into school. I, I love school still. I love learning. But I rebelled against everything. Like I, I was doing everything bad. Like I was smoking cigarettes and I was stealing shit and I was smoking weed. Like I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do too. Like I missed out on a lot of those high school experiences that people have where they get too drunk or they have a boyfriend. I didn't, none of that happened to me. I didn't have a boyfriend really in high school. I didn't really party. Like I had a little group of friends and we would smoke weed occasionally, but it wasn't ever like I was partying. And so I feel like I felt like I had to catch up and I, and I wanted to get away from my house, but I was just like out. Like I would come home at like 4am. Do you feel like nobody noticed when you got home late? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. Nothing. There wasn't any exchange. Sometimes my dad'd be awake. He's like a total night owl. So it'd be like, maybe be like, hey. <laughs> I never was told to come home early or I never had a curfew. I was never scolded. I, was, I didn't have to explain where I was. I didn't have to deal, deal with any of that. I definitely felt like I was a mini adult for sure. Like I had to, I had to grow up fast. And I like my, when my mom was sick, she would normally take me to school and she couldn't anymore. So I had to drive myself to school, but I don't think I had a license yet, but I had my permit. So I was like driving to school and nobody else was driving to school. I had to like park illegally. I didn't have a parking spot. I remember like just taking really long drives. I didn't feel like a high school student when I was in high school at all. But I also, like I said, I had my friend who had gone through a similar experience and we had each other. So even if I felt alienated from everybody else, we had each other. It's, it was such a blessing. We could laugh about it even. Like, I couldn't laugh about it with anybody. I remember this girl came to the funeral for my school and she gave me a bonsai tree to be sweet, which is really sweet. My dad was like, the second she left, he's like, you gotta get rid of that. I'm like, what? And he was like, bonsai trees represent stunted growth. Like, you can't have that. Bad feng shui. 
it was like even that is like a mini thing where it's like this girl was trying to relate to me and like I wasn't allowed to it was that's just like a mini story that came up for me during while she was sick definitely felt the alienation and like there was a lot of woe is me feelings and and anger and resentment towards the other kids um and just to the world after she died I felt like fuck I I'm still in high school like I gotta have this experience and I kind of regressed and did all the stuff maybe I was supposed to have done or felt like I was supposed to have done so it was both it was like at first I was an adult driving myself to school when I when I didn't even have a license and and going and taking myself to appointments and and doing stuff for myself, making myself do me and my homework. Nobody was checking in on me. And then after she died, and especially because I, then after she died, I already got into college. Like, you know, I, that's it's a senior thing. So I was just living it up. I mean, just entering kind of into this place of, of womanhood, you know, where you've probably just started to get your period and, you know, perhaps lose your virginity or, or things like that where it's like, huge biological things that you want to I imagine talk to your mom about what was your experience in that realm like I'm still struggling with that that's the hardest part I mean I feel like I'm I'm learning how to be a woman I'm I'm like teaching myself all the time and and I feel like maternal friends and people kind of they're attracted to me and they come to try to help me just on a subconscious level, I feel like it's cool. I've had a lot of super maternal friends and I've learned a lot from them. But yeah, I mean, I never knew how to put on makeup or do any of that stuff. My mom was an artist. She wasn't like super into her appearance. She was always just like wearing clothes she could paint in. And like she was she was pretty chill. But still, even I never learned that you're supposed to pluck your eyebrows. Like I never did that. And then I I, I felt like I was always trying to catch up. I, I felt like I was a late bloomer anyway. You know, like it's hard to know what came first sometimes because I feel like, like I was explaining earlier, like I have a lot of boundaries and I wonder if that's because my mom died and I'm kind of closed off because I, you know, have had this pain and experience and, and, but maybe I was like that before. Like maybe that's just who I am. You don't want to like spiral too deep into that and then make everything about not having a mom because not everything is. And so I felt like in my earlier teen years, learning how to be a woman and thinking about that and feeling like I was always catching up or a late bloomer and being like, wow, I just I just wish I had a mom. I mean, that kind of that 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 thought just pops up all the time, like when you're just doing laundry or just anything like, damn, I wish I had a mom. That'd be that'd be cool. Or just like if another thing happens or I'm in a fight with someone or something's happening, I want advice and I'm like, this would be a great time to have a mom right now. I definitely am a positive person. I have a lot of um, I, I still retain that notion that everything happens for a reason, even though I know like a lot of people that have experienced death or trauma at a young age, like, it, you know, it's it's a really shitty thing to hear after you're when you're sad and be like this fucking sucks but everything happens for a reason and and you don't want to hear that but I always still had that I always hold on to that I think for me that's just my a coping mechanism for me that works but first after she died I was really obsessed with the brain what is consciousness because like I said she was in there but she couldn't communicate and I kind of got obsessed with that idea and like 
I realized my first semester, everything was about the brain, even if it was and about death. Like even a film class I took was called Death in Cinema. And I like really went in in on that. And like I said before, like I was I was kind of on track to like do something like be a doctor. I was really into science. After she died, I just I need I wanted to like live and have experiences and have fun. I, I, I definitely have this anxiety that I don't think I would have had about our own mortality and like never knowing what's going to happen and or being fearful that I could get sick one day too or any of that stuff. So I think that helped me kind of just be like, whatever, like, fuck this career path stuff. I'm not going to worry that about that. I'm just going to enjoy myself and whatever happens, happens. Whereas before I was like really, you know, more perfectionist and worried about that kind of stuff. But then, yeah, I, I don't know. I went I went off the, the brain path and I started doing film. I feel like I inherited also some of my mom's trauma that I was never able to like work out with her. Like maybe about some of her resentment she had towards my dad. And I'm like, is that mine or is that hers? Sometimes I'm not sure. Even though she was only in my life for like 16 years before she got sick, we were super close. Like I was her therapist. She would talk to me about stuff that maybe you shouldn't talk to your daughter about. But I was like helping her with stuff. And I rem- and she was kind of like a therapist to her friends. And then I was her person that she unloaded to. So I like knew a lot about her emotionally and what was going on with her. And I knew she wasn't really like happy. She's an immigrant and they came from South Africa. And she was pregnant with my brother. And then he was born two and a half months premature. And they had just moved here when he was born. And he was a preemie and he weighed like three pounds and then all the babies in the hospital that were also preemies with him got AIDS there's like this crazy thing that happened in 1981 in Cedar sinai where like they they didn't know about AIDS and they were giving these babies blood transfusions and like my brother like he was friends with all these babies well you know my parents were friends with their parents and they were all there for months in the incubators and stuff so they became friends with all the families and then like half of them died from AIDS, these babies. So that was really rough. And then she was worried about having the next kid, about if it would come early or not. And she had two miscarriages between us. And then when she finally, like, you know, was pregnant with me, the doctors were like, you have to stay in bed. I think they even sewed her up, like some crazy shit. She was, so she was bedridden with me for six months. So there, I, I feel like I also have, have a lot of guilt around that, that I was like, she really wanted a baby girl. Like they, she wanted a boy and a girl and she had these miscarriages and then his pregnancy, it was such a mess. And then, and then for me, there was such a sacrifice involved in it. And I feel like I carry around the weight of that a lot when I think about it. And then I feel like I failed her kind of in the end because I wasn't around when she needed like just to have someone, just some love. But when I think back to how our relationship was before she was sick, like it was, it kind of was a flipped relationship. Like I was kind of the mom and she was kind of the kid and she would just tell me everything going on with her and I was advising her on stuff. And she taught me a lot about psychology and and humans, like how to talk to them and how you never say you and use accusatory words. You say, I, me, and this, how this makes me feel. And she instilled in a lot, a lot of like psychology in me. So I feel like, you know, I was going to either become a doctor or a psychologist and I just like couldn't after all of this. Like I just I just couldn't. And and I, I feel like a totally lost person career wise 
because I feel like I was supposed to do something and because of what happened to me, I just can't. But it's always there for me if I ever decide like, okay, I'll I'll do a two-year program and become a therapist or whatever. But I don't know. There's there, I have a lot of like issues around that and and wondering if that's what I was supposed to have done. Or I also do art like on the side I've never like fully been able to like make any of my hob my artistic hobbies a career because I'm kind of like I think if I had her around she was an artist maybe I would feel more confident to do that like how she did it but you know I it mostly it mostly manifests itself in not knowing what I'm doing in terms of career and like you know, that's all like, who am I? All those types of questions. So I feel kind of lost. And I that's when I miss my mom the most because I think like I would really like some advice. Someone who knows me really well, knows what I'm good at, known me my whole life to, to be like, no, you're good at this. You should do this and kind of like build that up for me. Maybe I avoid pop culture when the mom's dead. It's like, I can't handle that. Maybe now I could though, you know. The first one that came to mind is Bambi. Ugh, I don't even think I could watch that without just getting so upset. Oh, it's so brutal. But um, yeah, I mean, all the Disney movies do that. But um, yeah, and then my my best friend sometimes calls me Bambi. Not purposefully. It's just like a cute thing she does. But I'm like, yeah, I am Bambi. Bambi, quick, the thicket. When I was a young lass, watching Disney movies was the only time I ever saw other motherless kids. You can imagine my dismay when my life didn't amount to stopping a war, becoming a flawless circus performer, or most tragically, having the ability to talk to inanimate objects. Dead Disney Moms is a trend and maybe even a hashtag if we all pull our resources together and try to make it happen. Although he was a kind and devoted father and gave his beloved child every luxury and comfort, still he felt she needed a mother's care. And so he married again choosing for his second wife, a woman of good family, with two daughters just Cinderella's age. What is my path? How am I ever going to find it? <laughs> Your mother asked me the very same question. She did? What did you tell her? I told her to listen. All around you are spirits, child. They live in the earth, the water, the sky. If you listen, they will guide you. Okay, I took out the maternal deaths in Bambi and Fox and the Hound because I'm not a fucking monster. Either the moms died on screen or they died before the movie even began. Cinderella's mom died, making way for the evil stepmother. Ariel's mom died in Little Mermaid. She was killed by a pirate ship. Belle's mom in Beauty and the Beast died from the plague. Pocahontas's mom was dead for years, Nemo's mom was killed by a barracuda, and even Ratatouille's mom, Linguini, was killed. Fucking Linguini. And Olivia's mom in The Great Mouse Detective was just mysteriously gone. Also low-key, that is the best fucking Disney movie. In an article in The Atlantic by Sarah Boxer, aptly titled, Why Are All the Cartoon Mothers Dead?, Boxer theorizes about the trope. Quoting In Death and the Mother from Dickens to Freud by Carolyn Dever, the character development begins in the space of the missing mother. The unfolding in plot and personality, she adds, depends on the dead mother. Basically, it's less about the deceased mother and it's more about the child's arc being inspired by it. Boxer also notes that another plot benefit to having the mother dead is to show off how great the father is. Usually a widowed father is shown on screen mooning over his dead wife's portrait or some other relic. 
It's to establish not how wonderful she was, but rather how wonderful he is. Boxer ultimately opines that these movies' fathers are caring and fun, and I imagine these animated fathers look great to most kids. She says, but let's just call a spade a spade. The regularity of the dead mother fun father pattern is not just womb envy at work and not just aggression against the breast. It's misogyny made cute. However, there is another theory. Walt Disney's mother died suddenly and tragically. After the success of Snow White, Walt bought a home for his parents, and less than a month later, a defective furnace caused his mother Flora to die from asphyxiation due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Walt, obviously feeling devastated and most likely very guilty, didn't talk publicly a ton about her death. And though I have little proof, I'd like to believe that Flora, as in Sleeping Beauty, was named after her. But it could also be a hint as to why so many motherless characters were rampant in Disney films. And Flora! I actually had a really healing experience with a psychic recently. She was so good. She's like awesome Greek woman. And she, like right away, she I walked in right away. She didn't know anything about me. She didn't know my name. She didn't know anything. She was like, write down your mom's name. And her birthday. And I was like, okay. And I wrote it down and I gave it to her. And she held on. She loved my ring. So she's like, let me hold your ring. And she like held it to her, her forehead. And she was going somewhere. I could tell. I was like, oh, wow. This is really cool. And she was like having a conversation with someone. And I, I was like, holy shit. And she started telling me like, I see your mom. She's happier now. She wasn't happy here. She's with her family. And I was like, this bitch. She's she's not with her family like she's lying this woman's because my only other person in my family has died is my well at the time was my grandpa so i was like well she's with her dad and she's like but she had miscarriages and i was like oh she and she's like she's with her other children and it was kind of this like and she was like don't worry she was sick but it was she wasn't happy here and it's not anything that is genetic you know like I said I've already I'm already scared about my health and everything I have this underlying fear but I've taken all these like the gene tests and I don't have any of those mutations and my mom actually didn't either she didn't have the breast cancer gene or any of that it was just like a fluke thing she just and I and I always think like wow it's so crazy she had so many cancers in her life it's almost like she was didn't want to be here it was and so it was crazy that this woman was saying this without knowing anything and she was telling me you know she's proud of you and you you know all you know all the things you want to hear like she's she she thinks you handled it well or whatever you know um she doesn't blame you for anything so i mean that was cathartic to hear to have someone else say that and kind of know some shit that they couldn't have known I just always am trying not to blame myself for anything and know, like, you're 17, you're 17, like, nobody's their best self at 17. Do you believe that any part of, like, your interest in spirituality is at all connected? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, I do, Brittany. Because my mom was sick, she was always looking for, like, alternative medicines and stuff. And she would take me to like these doctors that would do muscle testing where they have you like touch all these vials of different shit and then try to pull your finger apart and see how strong you are it's it's cool because you could actually do it with table salt and sugar and if you do this to anybody like you put salt in their one hand and you can't 
their fingers are so strong in the other hand. And if you put sugar in their hand, their fingers are super weak. And it's just this weird thing. It's, it's, it's an energy thing. It's, it's muscle testing. So I was introduced to that super young. And I didn't really think anything of it. Like I didn't know that other people didn't do that. And we ate super healthy. Like we had a dehydrator. We'd make flax crackers. And, you know, we would go to only, well, Whole Foods then was called Mrs. Gooch's. Fun fact. <laughs> so we'd go to Mrs. Gooch's and that's just how I ate. And I still eat like that. Like for me, comfort food is like a quinoa bowl. And I'm really grateful for that. I think that's super cool. So part of it is definitely like the way I was raised. But I do think my interest in it and... And kind of a way I cope with existence is is knowing that like energy can be created or destroyed. I also like I my thing is spirit science. So it's spiritual, but I like it rooted in science in a way and to understand it like that. And so I really like to follow doctors that their whole thing is like proving that like that your cells emit a specific energy that's specific to you and like it can be found again like in, in other cells and that's reincarnation, all this stuff. So it's so I'm I'm interested in it, but I also like it to be kind of rooted in fact because it helps me feel like, you know, she's still with me in here and I, you know, I, I don't know. It's not like I, I, I'm like I talk to her every day or anything, but I feel like I have a little fairy sometimes. I definitely have a parking fairy because I get the best parking spots ever. And my mom was really bad at parallel parking like it was it was it was bad and I pride myself on being a really good parker and I always get a spot so I kind of feel like it's a little wink and I just call it my parking fairy but I kind of feel like it's her and you know like when I came here I got the best parking which is spot. insane because it is so hard to find parking spots here I killed it I'm right outside best spot you saw that right I know. I always get a good parking spot. Like whenever, like I always drive and never take Uber. I don't really drink that much. So I'm always like, whatever, I'll just drive. And people are always like, you're not going to find parking. I'm like, you fucking, I, yeah, I will. I'm going to get the best spot ever. And I always do. Something that's also like weighing on me these days that's different from, from when I was younger. It, I'm now approaching the age where it's almost been the same amount of years that my mom's been dead versus when she the years she was alive and it's such a crazy feeling to be like oh my god like I'm gonna surpass that age and then I'll have spent the majority of my life without my mom and it's so horrible it's like and I feel myself kind of grasping and trying to hold on to memories and and searching and racking my brain for things I now also notice that you know like your iPhone you have all your voice males in one area I'm like obsessive like I if anybody leaves me a voicemail that's like anyone in my family or even like a friend I'm like I download it I save it I like email it to myself because I don't have any voice recordings of my mom and I'm like forgetting what her voice was like like I can it's like a whisper in my brain you know and it's like oh I'm like I'm like grasping for it and I think I do this with other people now because I'm like so desperate to still have something from the horcrux of them so I I do that with voicemails obsessively I my voicemail is always full not because people call me ever it's just because I don't delete them I'm just like a hoarder it's been 13 years so in two more years it'll be 15 and or well yeah I can't do math but it'll be equal um, so we're, ge I'm getting there and I feel it. I'm feeling that kind of creeping in 
and trying to remember happy times with her because when you have that experience and they were and she was sick for the last two years basically that she was alive and I those memories are at the top and I'm like ugh, like trying to go through them and I just can't dive deep enough past them sometimes to remember like the happy times the good times and the ones that I do remember I replay over and over and I'm kind of stuck on them and I wish that I had a, a little bit more like a bunch of her stuff is in a storage unit here in LA I haven't been able to go I just keep putting it off and I really want to go and get a bunch of her arts there and my photo albums and stuff and I I I feel like I'm ready, but I haven't I haven't gone yet. And I feel like that'll be good for me because then I'll, I'll I'll remember more like things will creep in a little bit. I know what my dad kept. Unfortunately, when he got rid of a lot of stuff because he moved houses when he did. I wasn't living here at the time. I was living in New York and I came back to kind of like clean up my room and go through some stuff. But I was like very detached from the process and I wanted to rush through it. And I had a friend come over and kind of help me. But I wasn't, I, I just like couldn't deal with it. I was like, I think I was starting to date someone new too. So I was like excited about that. And I was just kind of like, okay, I got to get this out of the way. And then I'll meet up with this guy or whatever. So I, again, wasn't very present for something that I kind of wish I was. I'm curious just like what type of guidance you'd give to anyone who is looking for a way to heal or looking for a way to like even absolve a little bit of guilt? I mean, what has been helpful to you? Uh, well, it takes time and it takes a lot of forgiveness. You consciously know, okay, you can't be mad at who you were. That was the way you dealt with it. Like you were a fucking teen. Like you had no, you had no example of how to be. Like that, that's a totally unnatural experience to have. I try to be sensitive and tell myself that, you know, it's okay. Talk to myself um, talk to my inner teen, tell her, you know, you did your best. You didn't really know, like, fuck, like, who knows? Who knows how to be in that situation? I mean, I would hope that now I would be more mature and able to handle the situation. But I don't know. I definitely think that also now, like, if there's a problem, if there's something going on, like, I, I get, I snap into gear, like, right away. And I feel like I have this fear of not being present and not being active or proactive in crisis situations. So I so I kind of like, I feel like I actively, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm there for people like that are my close friends now that I've let in to my, to my little boundary area. But um, there's, there's no reason to hold on to that stuff because it doesn't, it's not helping anybody. And it might just be something that you're holding on to because it's easier to be mad at yourself and replay moments that you wish you had handled differently than it is to just like feel the void or the pain or the the lack of of what you wish was there and, and sometimes it's just like a distraction you know like I I wish that I didn't spend all these years feeling guilty and instead spent them going through my mom's stuff and feeling like not avoiding stuff so I think you it like feeling guilty for me then played out again as continually like not showing up maybe for myself or for her or for my memories or for different things so I think like it like sometimes it's easier to be mad than sad and it's something that like being mad at yourself is so much easier than just being sad that someone's gone it's such like a stupid thing to say but like you just 
it's just something you could choose to feel or not feel sometimes. And there's no reason to hold on to that because you did your best. You did what you did. That's that's who you were. You can't, you know, you can't go back in time. And even if you did, like, it probably wouldn't have happened any differently. You can't be mad at yourself. It's just, it's just how the world is. Yeah, but it's tough. I mean, it's going to creep in. It's going to creep in all the time. You just have to remind yourself on like a higher level. Like that layer of thought can be happening. Like, oh, you bitch. Like, why did you do that? And then another layer can come in. Be like, you did your best. You tried. You were a teen. Like, it's okay. So, I don't know. I mean, I talk to myself all the time. I have layers going all the time. And you just got to choose the better, the higher layer. It's not doing anybody any favors to stay in that lower vibration, I'm telling you. You can follow Allison at abag2gs on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can go to allisonbag.com for her digital collage work. It's pretty incredible, and I want to buy them all as prints and line my house with her. I'm Brittany Ashley, and you can find me at Brit27Ash or BrittanyAshleyFunny.com. All of the music is by Interstellar Sarah Michelle Geller. Their band camp is in the iTunes description, and the logo is by Christine Tuna. For episode extras, you can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash deadmomcast. And if you'd like to leave a rating or a review on iTunes, it helps other members find the pod.